Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord God, you are most gracious to us, and we are most grateful. We want to present to you this morning our newest Woodland members, Jeff and Sarah, fellow children of God. You know them well, having led them as a godly couple in your service for many years. Thank you for leading them to our local church body and joining us all together in worshiping and serving you in this community. Lord, I remember first meeting in the Pride Moors and how I much appreciated their friendliness to me and obvious love for you. They had been busy together serving God and country in earlier years. And in more recent time, they have focused on serving God and community. They've been a blessing to us, and may we be a blessing to them by encouraging their faith and service here. Specifically, we humbly and respectfully ask that you continue, please, to grow their strong faith in you as they strive to grow their wholehearted love for you. May they know you more and more fully through your word and in prayer. And please continue to use us, members of Woodland, to pray for and love them in faithful Christian affection, encouraging their love and gratitude for your goodness and greatness in their lives. May Jeff and Sarah continue to enjoy your presence through the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and daily guiding them from the scriptures in their walk with you, empowering them as they partner with us in service to you, and comforting them with your blessed peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, we ask you to guard their health and safety, both physical and spiritual. Protect them especially from our ancient foe who seeks to work us woe. May we ever find our mighty fortress and refuge in you, Almighty God. Heavenly Father, as Jeff and Sarah formally join the church this morning, we want to join them in declaring our mutual desire to always belong to you as your obedient and faithful children. You've loved each of us from before our beginnings and have graciously granted that we should be called your children, and so we are. And all this by the divine love of that great rescuer of sinners at the cross, your beloved Son, our beloved Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray today. Amen. You can harass them after service today, and thank you guys for uh, for being willing to be coming forward here, and we are excited. Well, we do have some announcements for you guys today. If you are new here or have been uh, attending Woodland for a little while, we do have a connection card in the uh, pew in front of you. We'd love for you to fill it out so we can get to know you. Nevin, I'm looking at you. My buddy Nevin came up from Wisconsin. Nevin, I'd like for you to fill out one of those connection cards so that we can you know, stay in contact here. But that is a great way for us to just get to know you guys and for you to kind of find out more about, about what is happening here at church. 
Also, July 18th, we are going to do a water baptism here. Uh, there are some of you that have maybe never taken that, that step of faith, that uh, public commitment to saying, hey, I believe in Christ and I want to be baptized and be a follower of him. And if you are interested in that, maybe you have never taken that step, on the back of your connection card, we'd love for you to, to just say, hey, you know, I'd like to be getting baptized, and I will reach out to you, and we'd love to talk to you about that here. And, of course, in Marquette, where do we have to get baptized? Superior. There's only one body of water to be getting baptized in, you know. So, no, but if you are allergic to cold water, I used to have a youth student that was, like, allergic to cold water, and he couldn't go in. We can switch up lakes, too, so we can go to a river or something. But on that day, we would love to be doing that here. Also, church picnic is what day? August 1st. I talk about this every Sunday. We are excited. It's going to be a great Sunday of us being able to just connect and have food, and we're going to have that set up outside. Hopefully, be praying that, that we have great weather and sign up at the coffee bar for what you could be could be bringing here. And the last announcement is the men's camping trip. Uh, if you are a male and you want to go camping, September 10th through the 12th, we're going to be going out to Craig's Lake and we're going to do some camping out there. So I've never been to Craig's Lake. I'm hoping to maybe buzz out there this week to kind of look at what they have, but I heard that it's rustic. I do know that. Some people are, it's right by Michigami if you've never heard of it, but we'd love for you to, to come sign up at the uh, foyer, we're not really sure how much it's going to cost or all of that. We're not. We're kind of winging it, right? I mean, we're just. Jacob is going to be in charge of uh, making that one happen, so it should be a great weekend here. But uh, yeah, at this time, the kids can be dismissed here. If you've got kids that would like to head off to their classes, uh, we can send them away as they, as they, beeline it right out of here. They're just like, we got to get out of here. I like that. But your kids are also welcome to stay, as well. Just to let you guys know. Well, hey, guys, this coming Sunday, today, we've got a guest speaker. And uh, before I invite him up there, we've got Jim from our district office. Jim, I've noticed something with you district guys. You guys only come up here in the summer months. Is there a reason for that? Because Al came up last month, and I noticed you're like, hey, Jeff, I'm free like end of June. I'd like to come and visit and see the church. And uh, they never come up in February. Notice that. We're going to have to, maybe next year, Sled Dog Weekend. Perfect weekend. Come on up here then. But let's uh, welcome Jim. Jim uh, works at the district office. Jim is a great guy. He, how many times have you spoken here now? Hmm, I have no idea. Probably several times. Several. But, but Jim's going to bring the word <laughs> to us this morning here, mm -hmm. and um, I'm excited. So Amen. thanks for coming. Thanks, brother, for having us. I'm here with my beautiful bride, Ruby. Uh, she and I will celebrate 29 years of marriage uh, in a couple of weeks here, two weeks from today, and uh, so excited to be here. It is wonderful to see all of you and to have this opportunity to bring you greetings from the rest of the Michigan region of the Missionary Church. Um, there's uh, 52 uh, churches, give or take. I say give or take because there's a couple of churches that are in process of uh, becoming. And uh, so uh, scattered throughout uh, Michigan, uh, you have the wonderful distinction uh, of being the church in the UP. Uh, incidentally, if you'd like to plant 18 more churches... Um, in the in the UP, uh, that would be great. And so talk to Pastor Jeff. You can sign up at the coffee bar. Um, 
if you would like to plant a church in Nagani or Gwyn, uh, uh, you could you could plant a church, and that'd be great. Uh, so. I just thought I'd plug that there. Yeah, might as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I also wanted to talk for just a minute about Mansona Camp. Uh, Mansona Camp is uh, just, uh, well, it's it's about four hours away from here. Uh, uh, but some of the folks from here go. Uh, I know that uh, Garrett and Katie, you guys like go. Um, let's see, you guys the only ones from here that go right now? Uh, you know, you could go to Mansona Camp. Mansona Camp is in uh, Mansona. That's why they call it Mansona Camp. Um, but uh, it's it is it's kind of like going to a state park um, in the sense that you have a a nice uh, wooded lot that you can uh, pull into. There's water and electric at most of the sites, uh, and uh, that's all fun and games. You can have uh, you know a campfire on your lot, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's at a real good price, and uh, you have wonderful Christian fellowship, and there's uh, there's a morning Bible study for the adults. There's kids things going on. There's youth stuff happening uh, all week. Uh, and the youth have their own basically their own camp that runs concurrently. Uh, but then in the evening there's a service. Uh, there's a big tabernacle there, uh, and uh, there's about 300 people that get together in the evening for an evening service. It is a wonderful experience. I love going to that uh, camp. And so it runs uh, always the third Sunday of July it starts. Uh, So July 18th this year through the 24th. And uh, if you need more information about that, you can talk to Garrett and and Katie, and they would be glad to give you some more information about that. Uh, They'll even let you follow them on the way there, I'm sure. Uh, So uh, we're going to open the Word here, uh, but I'd like to pray before we open the Word. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings and your faithfulness to us. And now, Lord, as we open your word, would you say things that I can't say? Would you teach us and guide us by your Holy Spirit? Would you lead us, Lord, to come nearer to you than we have been and to worship you more fully and to serve you more deeply and to walk with you more closely? Lord, guide us, we pray, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I had the wonderful experience in 2015 of uh, being able to go to uh, the nation of Israel. And I'll say this, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, go to Israel. Um, it is wonderful. It's amazing where you where you see stuff that um, you read about in God's Word and, and it's right there in front of you. This is where that happened. We stood over the uh, the valley where David fought Goliath. Uh, you know, we, we sat at the edge of the uh, the Sea of Galilee, outside of the village of Capernaum, where Jesus called people uh, and he made them his disciples. Uh, stuff like that. It's like whoa. Uh, so. It was a wonderful experience, uh, and I've talked about that a little bit in a Sunday school class I did here, I don't know, three or four years ago, uh, but this is not going to be that same thing that I taught then. I just, I love the pictures, uh, and so I think it's great. So we went to this place called Mount Arbel, and there's a picture of it right there, uh, the peak. It's 1,247 feet above the surrounding uh, area, and uh, we, we, we got to the bottom, and our bus was the only bus in the parking lot. You get to a place that's in a, a, a you know, kind of a 
touristy area and you're the only bus in the parking lot, there's a reason for that. Uh, they said, uh, fill your water bottle, uh, grab your backpack, and, and let's go. And so we, we hiked to the very top of that thing, and it was, it was pretty intense. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful experience, though, and, and we're really glad. If you want to uh, just go to the next slide there. Um, yeah, so this is our guide, Yehuda. Um, he's a, our, our Jewish guide, and next to him is our host, Pastor. Uh, his name is Gerald, and uh, they quoted Yoda uh, uh, from the Star Wars. There is do or there is do not. There is no try. Um, you don't say, I'm going to try and make this hike because if you get up halfway, you're going to the top uh, or you're going to the bottom. Um, but you're not going to try because halfway up, you know, you might as well keep going because we're not carrying you. Um, and so they said, if you don't think you can make this hike, you know, then ride on the bus around and we'll pick you up uh, or you can pick us up later. But uh, so we started on this hike. And uh, this is a cool shot because uh, the 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 mountain is right here, uh, but that valley that you you can kind of see around the shoulder of the mountain, uh, that valley if you'd follow it around goes to Nazareth. And so uh, as Jesus was making his way through that area on his way to Capernaum, which he kind of set up as his base of operations, uh, that would have been right where he walked. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and and it started out the hike was was pretty okay, but as we went along a little bit, uh, it got a little steeper uh, and got a little bit more intense, and uh, the trail started to switch back, back and forth, uh, up across the face of this this cliff, and uh, so it it got uh, it got um, interesting, difficult. Uh, you want to go to the next slide? There was uh, there was a place where we were able to kind of come out and see what we were going to see from the top. Uh, that's the Sea of Galilee in the background, uh, kind of off in the haze uh, above the. Uh, the guy on the left there, uh, kind of above his hat and maybe a little further up, uh, is where Capernaum would have been in the Sea of Galilee. Just below us, down below right there, is the is the village of Magdala, where uh, Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, and uh, they are currently excavating that area. They found a first century synagogue there uh, that perhaps Jesus taught in. Uh, so you know, stuff like that is happening all the time in that area. Really cool. Okay, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, we got to the place where we're doing this um, up the uh, you see the you see the rock face right there they had little little Israel flags about that big uh, painted to kind of show you where to grab hold of rocks this is not an OSHA approved hike uh, and uh, we were literally going like this up the side of this thing and uh, it was it was pretty intense if you want to go to the next one um, this is me and my friend Ron. Uh, he's another pastor, and we're we're holding a tree going up in this crevice. And you see the little staple things right there. Every once in a while, they had those things uh, that you could grab hold of as you're making your way up. And and this is like the last hurrah just before you get to the top of the mountain. If you want to go to the next slide, there. Um, this is what it looks like. And so uh, this is it's a beautiful vista, uh, and kind of you could walk around to the other edge there and see uh, the Sea of Galilee spread out all, all you know beneath you. It's just absolutely gorgeous. But I'm just going to camp here for just a minute. Um, this was not just a hike. It wasn't just a oh yeah we did that. Uh, there was there was a reason that we did this. Uh, you see, if you were to go, uh, you don't necessarily have to turn there right now, uh, but if you were to go to Luke chapter 6, you would read in verse 12 that uh, Jesus, on one occasion, 
went up on a mountainside and he prayed. And he spent all night praying. And then in the morning, he called his followers to him, the people that were hanging out with him, kind of going from place to place with him. And out of those, he chose 12 guys. And he, he designated them. Do you remember the word that he used? What was the word he called them? Not just disciples. They were also called apostles. Apostles. And that's a very interesting word. It means sent out. And so from the very first day, they knew that eventually they're going to be sent out by Jesus. In fact, if you go to the next slide there, um, uh, Jesus, he told them on repeated occasions, you will be my witnesses. Uh, Even from day one, they knew that there would come a time when Jesus was going to push them out to go and do what he was doing in their lives. Okay. So uh, these are his disciples, and, and, and Jesus had chosen them specifically by name. Now, Jesus was uh, a rabbi in that Jewish culture. It, it, we, we always have to remember that, that Jesus did things in and within the culture that he was a part of. Uh, and, and so uh, the more that we understand about first century Jewish culture, the more we can kind of make sense of some of the things that Jesus did. He was a rabbi. And he had disciples. Now, it was a very common thing in those days, but Jesus also was not like everybody else. He did things differently. Uh, and so most rabbis uh, would, would be very selective in who they would choose to be their disciples. Jesus was not uh, in the sense that he didn't choose the best of the best of the best. He chose ordinary people and said, I want you. You come and be with me, and we're going to be together. And I'm going to pour into your life, and you're going to take what I pour into your life, and you're going to go and be my witnesses. This word apostle that he used from day one, he used it several times in reference to them. In, in Matthew, when Matthew gives us the, name, uh, the names of each of the twelve, um, he, he says, these are the twelve, he called them apostles, and then in, in the very next verses, he calls them to live up to their name. These twelve, Jesus gave some authority to, and he sent them out. And, and so even early in their time with Jesus, he was investing in them and pushing them out to minister to other people. Luke tells us uh, that Jesus also on occasion gathered 72 of his followers and he sent them out to minister. The word apostle is there in the original language. You've got to remember it was Greek uh, when it was written and now it's been translated to English. But that word sent out, it literally is the verb form of the word apostle. He apostled them out um, to, to go and minister. In Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying just prior to going to the cross, uh, he, he said, as you appointed, no, as you apostled, as you apostled me into the world, I have apostled them, his disciples, into the world. As you sent me out, I have sent them out. And then after his resurrection, immediately, uh, one of the first things that Jesus said, he said, peace be upon you, when he appeared to the disciples. You know, I've always thought that was so bizarre. Can you imagine these guys in this room? The doors are locked. They're all by themselves. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is right there in front of them. That would freak a person. Uh, and 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 Jesus Jesus said, "Peace be upon you." Now that was a normal greeting, you know. They would always say shalom, uh, uh, but I would need some peace at that moment. Um, and the very first thing that Jesus said after that, "As the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. As the Father has apostled me, I'm dispatching you to go and do this too. I'm, I'm transmitting this responsibility onto you. I'm bestowing upon you the weight of this responsibility and the opportunity to, to go. I'm thrusting you out into the work that I have for you to do. And he gave them this great commission that we have written at the end of the book of Matthew in which he did not use the word apostle, but he talked about living out this concept of being sent out, where he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So that's kind of the context of what we're looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're going to take a look at one of the last things that Jesus said uh, prior to his ascension and return to heaven. Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're just going to read a couple of verses there. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? It's, it's a sign of respect that this is God's word, it's not the preacher's word. This is what Jesus was saying. So Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. It says there, so when they met together, they at, this is the disciples, uh, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses. And, and I've thought uh, quite a bit about this concept of, of being a witness. What is a witness? Uh, you know, uh, there are various things that we could talk about. This is a, this is a pretty intense passage that Jesus is, is giving here. Uh, but we're just going to kind of scratch the surface a little bit. He said, you'll be my witness. A witness shares information. A witness puts her hand up and, and says, this is what I know. This is what I have firsthand knowledge. Uh, some, sometimes we call an expert witness, someone who has uh, those little acronyms and letters after their name uh, to prove they're important. And, and they get up there and they say, in all of my years of study and understanding and teaching and experience, I know that this is the way it is. Expert witness. Uh, other, other times you have someone up there that says, this is what I have seen. I'm an eyewitness. I was there when this happened. I saw it happen right in front of me. I'm an eyewitness. I have personal experience of this. A witness says, these are the facts as I understand them. I have a clear working knowledge of the situation in question. I'm giving you this information firsthand. A witness also says, this is the truth. You remember when, when you raise your hand, I don't know if you've ever served as a witness, but you raise your hand and they ask you that question. You could probably repeat it with me. Do you swear or solemnly affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you God? And you say, yes, I will. Um, the whole truth. The whole truth means that I'm leaving nothing out. I'm not leaving out the more difficult parts. I'm not leaving out the less desirable aspects. I, I'm giving you everything that it pertains to this conversation we're having. And nothing but the truth means that I, I'm not sharing with you my opinion. I'm sharing with you the truth. I think it should be. No, we don't care what you think it should be. We want to know what happened or how it really is. 
there's no exaggeration in nothing but the truth. <laughs> nothing but the truth, you know, you're not telling a story, and then wait until you hear what happened next. Um, there's, there's no embellishment uh, so that it gives the truth a little bit more zing. We're not interested in that. We want to know the facts of what happened there. A witness gives the truth. A wit- the, the real word, the literal word for you will be my witnesses in, in that language that this was written in Greek, the word is martyr. That's the word. I mean, that gives a little backbone, doesn't it? I'm, I, I'm, I'm offering everything with this truth. Uh, I'm drawing a line in the sand here. I'm willing to die rather than to give up what I know to be the facts. In 1972, uh, I, I don't remember this. I've, I've read about it and heard about it. And, uh, uh, I'm not quite that old. Uh, I was born in, before that happened. But uh, anyway, um, there was a break-in at the Watergate Hotel. Maybe you remember this scenario. Um, uh, President Nixon eventually resigned. Uh, there was a whole scandal that erupted. They call it the Watergate scandal. And, and any new scandal in politics, they, they use gate at the end of it because, you know, we're referring back to that Watergate scandal. Um, there was a man named Charles Colson who was indicted and sent to prison as a result of his involvement in this whole scenario. Um, through that, he eventually uh, came into relationship with Jesus uh, and uh, eventually started a prison fellowship ministry and had a radio broadcast called Breakpoint. Great guy. Uh, he's in heaven now, but um, he had a wonderful ministry. Anyway, Charles Colson was describing the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and he said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How, he said, because 12 men, the apostles, testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate, he says, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? That's absolutely impossible. And and he has a good point. These people, they said, this is the information that happened. I am telling you the truth. There's a line in the sand. You can kill me if you need to, but I am telling you this is what happened. As Christians... We, we are called to be Jesus' witnesses. And a witness testifies to personal experience. Say what you want, but I know this is true in my own heart. We can find this in the book of John. Or excuse me, the Apostle John wrote it. It's in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, he says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I was there. I saw this happen. It is the truth. I'm telling you the personal experiences that I have had and you can do what you need to do, but this is what happened. 
Now, you and me, we're a little different than the Apostle John. Um, we cannot claim to be eyewitnesses. We were not there at the cross, at the empty tomb, at the, at, at, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. We were there. We can't be eyewitnesses, but we should be expert witnesses. Expert witnesses that says, we know Jesus. We have firsthand experience of his power to completely transform a life. I'm a witness for Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see all those things. Jesus has changed my life. We should be able to give expert witness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus didn't just say, you'll be witnesses. He said, you'll be my witnesses. My witness. Not just a witness, his witness. If I'm a witness of Jesus, that implies relationship. Where, where I say, I'm his witness because I know him. I know him. See, Jesus had poured himself into these guys' lives, these apostles, And now he was dispatching them to pour into the lives of others. All of ministry, uh, it flows out of relationship. God is a God of relationship. And he wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to enjoy relationship with each other. That's what the church is. We're enjoying relationship with each other. We're mutually helping each other to know God and to experience the fullness of his spirit. But then he calls us to share that relationship with other people so that they can have relationship with Jesus also and relationship with other Christians as well. And so uh, all of ministry is relationship. Jesus has been shared with us. And we've come into relationship with him. We have his word. We have his spirit. We have the fellowship of the believers. And now we're called to be his witnesses, sharing him with the people around us. And Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. That that kind of implies also his authority over me. See, Jesus, you know, if we use the analogy of Jesus with his 12 apostles, Jesus was their rabbi. They were his disciples. A rabbi with his disciples, the rabbi had absolute authority. In fact, during that time period of of the rabbi and the disciple and their training, uh, the the rabbi had more authority even than the parents. And that was a a parent-controlled society. And so Jesus was called master by these guys. They called him master. Well, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then Jesus is my master. And if Jesus is my master, if Jesus is our master, we, we say what he tells us to say. We, we do what he commands us to do. We go where he sends us to go. He's the master. I'm the servant. I'm the follower. I'm the disciple. If Jesus is who I'm witnessing, I'm a witness, I'm his witness, then that means Jesus is the focus of all this stuff life and ministry is not about me it's about him Jesus himself said if you're going to come after me you're going to be my follower you're going to be my disciple then you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me so life is not about me in fact I think that too often we have both thought and conveyed the thought that if you are really a follower of Jesus, your life will be fairly comfortable. 
You know, uh, you can be kind of fat and happy. You can you can just enjoy, kind of skate through and slide through, and the 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 troubles that everybody else experiences in this life will will really kind of not really touch you as much. Guess what? That's a bunch of um, baloney. That's that's not reality. Life happens to every single one of us. Every person on this planet goes through hard times and struggles and difficulties and things that just don't make sense and things that hit you out of nowhere and things that... All of that happens to all of us. But if Jesus is my master, that means I rest in his hands. That means I trust in his provision. I am kept by his grace. And and all of this stuff that I do walk through, I walk through with him. I had the privilege of having a heart attack last August. And uh, the day that I had my heart attack, uh, I, I remember I was in an ambulance. They were transferring me from one hospital to another so I could have a, a heart catheterization to open up where the blockages are. Uh, and I remember sitting in the ambulance and, and thinking, wow, this could be it. You know, this could be curtains. Uh, But at the same time, this sense of God's presence and his peace. And you know what? If... If I'm not able to continue in this ministry role that I've had, if I if I if I go on and and die, it's going to be okay. And the peace of God just flooded me at that moment. I was like, this is going to be okay. I'm telling you what, that is absolutely priceless. The stuff of life happens to people, but the peace of God passes all understanding, and it guards our hearts and our minds. So this is about Jesus. It's not about me. And in fact, the church, if we're not careful, we can get all caught up in the stuff of the world rather than about the stuff of Jesus. The the work of the church is not about social justice. It's not about political activism. It's not about race or culture or any of the world's systems or talking points. And I'm not saying any of those things is unimportant, but it's not the point. The point of everything is that everyone comes to have a relationship with Jesus. And we as the church, we have to remember that. That's the point of all of this. And so... I'm a witness for Jesus. Jesus is who and what and how I declare everything. When Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, that means I'm a witness of Jesus. And so we declare his power. We declare his transformation in people's lives. We declare his forgiveness of sin. We declare his healing. We declare his calling to come close. We declare his glory that is available to all people. Paul said it beautifully in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He talked about going to the Corinthians, and he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, with much trembling My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. This is about Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about John. It's not about Jim Jordan. It's not about Pastor Jeff. This is about Jesus. We have to remember that. 
And there's, there's also a personal aspect of this. Jesus, it's like he's pointing his finger at each of his disciples and each of us. And he says, you, you will be my witnesses. You. Me? You talk, you talking to me? Me? But I'm nobody special. I don't have a Bible degree. I don't have a theological education. I don't have, we can come up with all kinds of excuses. And Jesus looks you right in the eye and says, you will be my witness. Now, the beautiful thing is, Jesus talks in this passage we read about power. Empowerment. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Oh, praise the Lord for that, because I got nothing. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to preach a message. I don't know how to transform anybody's life. I have nothing to offer this world. But the Holy Spirit does. He knows exactly what to do and how to do it. He empowers His people to do His will for His glory. And so He comes. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' teaching. Remember Jesus himself said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of everything I've taught you. And this is one of the reasons why it's really important for us to be in God's Word. It's really important for us to, to continually immerse ourselves in what does God's Word say. Because one of the great things that the Holy Spirit does is he brings God's Word to our mind at just the right moment. And he will remind us of what God's word has to say in a way that applies in our situation in a beautiful and amazing way. I challenge you to be daily reading God's word. It is very important. Not only does Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, empower us and remind us, he fills us with his power and his authority. Peter and John uh, were two of these people that Jesus was talking to that day. A couple of chapters later in the book of Acts, they, they were on their way to the temple to pray, and they saw a, a guy begging outside of the temple. And uh, Peter went up to him and he said, Look at us. And the guy said, Oh, money. And Peter and, said, uh, Peter and John said, We don't have any money. But what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this guy who'd been lame for all these years, suddenly he's walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter and John got in trouble for talking about Jesus and for giving Jesus all the glory. They were hauled in in front of the Jewish leaders and the, and the Jewish leaders said, what are you doing? <laughs> and Peter and John said, we got to talk about Jesus. We have to talk about Jesus. Jesus is what all of this is about. He, they said, we didn't make this guy who was lame able to walk. This isn't about Peter and John. This is about Jesus. And it says the Jewish leaders were astonished at the courage and understanding of Peter and John. And they took note, these guys have been with Jesus. Oh, that explains everything. They had Jesus' power. They had Jesus' authority. They had Jesus guiding them with his wisdom. The Holy Spirit does that. He helps us like we cannot help ourselves. Now, Jesus said, you'll, you'll be my witnesses. There's an opportunity there. Jesus provides us with opportunities to witness. And where did he say? Uh, he said, you, and it was a plural you, uh, there were multiple people there. There's going to be multiple opportunities. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
which is, which is right kind of the, the place where they were all were. Uh, it was true for all of them. They were Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, exactly where they started. And they said Judea. Now, Judea is kind of the local area. There's people around just like them. There's, you know, there's minor differences. You live in that town. I live in this town. Uh, but there's no real issues. There's people all around them. But it was a broader scope, more people than just in Jerusalem. But then Jesus went and mentioned Samaria. He had to go and bring up Samaria. Samaria was near. It was, it was that same region, but those people were different in Samaria. Samaria was those people. You know about those people? Those people. And you can define those people in a lot of different categories. But it's the, it's the people you don't want to be around, you don't want to talk to. They, they smell funny, they look funny, they dress funny, they act funny. They're just different. Those people. Jews and Samaritans, they didn't like each other. And that's putting things way more mildly than we need to. Uh, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Jews would not eat in a dish that a Samaritan had touched. They called the Samaritans dogs. They hated each other. And Jesus said, you'll be my witness there in Samaria. Overcoming cultural and racial prejudice. You see, Samaria was similar culture, but very different way of thinking. That ministry in Samaria would never have happened without intentionality and without the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power. There's going to be opportunity. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Wherever the opportunity presents itself to go, whoever you find yourself with, there's going to be opportunity to talk about Jesus. And there was this, you'll be my witness. There's, there's an expectation there. Isn't there? How many times did Jesus send people out? You'll be my witnesses. Go and do this. Because there's also accountability. We have to remember, there is accountability involved here. Jesus told a parable one time. uh, We call it the parable of the talents. Uh, And in this parable, Jesus said there was a rich guy. And, and he was going away for a while, and he had all these servants. And so he brought in these servants, and to each servant, he entrusted a certain sum of money based on what he knew of their talents and abilities. And to, to one, he in, entrusted ten talents, or five, I guess it was five talents, and then to another two talents, and to another one talent, based on their ability. And he went away. And the servants responsible for their master's money did certain things with that money. The guy who'd been given five talents immediately went and he put that money to work and he worked hard and he developed it. And from the five talents, a talent was a fairly substantial amount of money, he, he had ten talents. So think of it in, say, $1,000. Uh, so he had been given $5,000, and he made $10,000. Uh, and the guy who'd been given two talents, we'll call it $2,000, uh, he ended up with $4,000. That's pretty good stuff. Uh, but the guy who'd been given one talent, he said, I don't know about this. I don't know what to do with this. What am I supposed to do with this? This is his money. I've got to give it back sometime. What am I going to do with this? I know what I'll do. He went and he dug a hole... 
and he put the money in the hole, buried it over, and he remembered where the hole was. And he walked away saying, take care of that. That money's safe. Nobody's going to find that. And then the master came back. He said, call in the servants. I want to see what they've done. And so the, the guy who'd been given five talents came. He said, Master, you entrust me with five. Here, I've got five more. Here you go. Oh, his master was very pleased. That's great stuff. Good, Well done, good and faithful servant. And You've been faithful with this. I'll be, I'll be blessing you with more. Uh, the servant had been given two talents. Same thing. You know, Master, you entrust me with two. Here's two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Great job. Where's the other servant? Oh, the other servant comes in. <laughs> Master, here you go. You entrust me with this, and there it is. Not a, not a cent missing. It's all there. What are you doing? What, what is the matter with you? I entrusted you with this, and I expected you to do something with it. What are you doing? You haven't done anything with what I've entrusted to you. Take, take that from him. And give it to that guy who has 10. Why? He already has 10. The one who has will be given more. The one who does not have, even when he has, will be taken from him, and he will be left with nothing. Throw that guy out. He's out of here. Into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guess what? Jesus never told a story like that just to hear himself talk. You read something like that in the Bible. It's not just there, you know, God spilling ink somewhere. Mm Mm-mm. There's a point. There's an application here. And I think at least one of the ways that we can look at this is in terms of relationships. Remember I said God is all about relationships? You have been entrusted with relationships. Uh, Everybody has relationships with at least a few people. There are people around you, and every single one of them has an immortal soul that will spend forever, all of eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Jesus expects you to do something with those relationships. He expects you to invest in those relationships. He expects you to share him in those relationships. And when Jesus brings you and you stand before him and he says, I have entrusted you with these relationships, tell me what you've done with them. What will you have to show for those relationships that he's entrusted to you? Friends, I think we need to ask ourselves some important questions. First of all, am I in a relationship with Jesus? Jesus is all about relationship, but none of this really is going to make sense or, or apply to me unless I first start at the beginning. Do I have a relationship? with? Not just do I know about God. Not just do I know who got it. Not just do I believe that Jesus is and was. Do I have a relationship with Jesus? I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of my sin, and I'm walking in obedience to him. Can I truthfully declare that I know and serve the living Lord? Second, how am I serving as a witness of Jesus, his missionary in my community? You know, we call ourselves the missionary church. Well, you used to. Um, I'm just... Yeah, I'm just harassing Pastor Jeff. Um, But we're part of the missionary church. Now, I I talked about how apostle means sent out. Guess what missionary means? Sent out. It comes from the Latin word missio, which means sent out. We're all his missionaries. We are to be sent out. 
So how am I serving as the missionary Jesus wants me to be in the community in which he's placed us? Guess what? You don't live in the Marquette area by accident. Guess what? You don't live in the, in the neighborhood you live in by chance. It's not because you looked at that house and said, that's a nice house, I guess I'll live there. Uh-uh. Jesus placed you strategically where you are, next to the people you live next to, with the community that you have, with the friends that you have, with the people that you interact with. He has you there as his missionary. How are you serving as his missionary? And the last one is what I'm prioritizing, really, what Jesus has given me to do. I mean, Jesus, he said, go and make disciples. Go and intentionally take what what I've poured into your life and pour it into the lives of other people. Am I doing that? Is that the priority that should be? Because it was the priority of what Jesus left with his disciples. You will be my witnesses. So I need to ask myself, am I actively, intentionally, prayerfully investing in the lives of other people so that they come closer to Jesus? Am I, personally, me? We live in a subdivision in Davison, and I never lived in a subdivision before. It's a pretty intense situation. We always lived kind of in the country. And now I have people living right next here and right next here and right over there and right over there and right over there. And people walk by my house all the time. It's a mission field. And I, if I'm not careful, will open my garage door, drive out, do my little thing, wherever it is I do, come back in, park in my garage, close my garage door, and just be in my little place. I have to actively, intentionally interact with the people around me or else the mission field that I live in is just going to go to seed. Now, we started at Mount Arbel. Let's go back to Mount Arbel. Okay, we're at Mount Arbel. Jesus chose 12 men. He invited them to come close to him. He invested himself into them. There's a part that I didn't tell you. At the end of Matthew... You can go and look at this later. Matthew 28, just before Jesus gave the Great Commission, it says that Jesus had them meet him in Galilee at a certain place, at a certain mountain. Mount Arbel is famous as the traditional place where a rabbi would go and pray before choosing his disciples. And rabbis did that all the time. Mount Arbel, that was kind of what it was used for. A rabbi would go there, pray, and then choose his disciples. Luke tells us, on one occasion, Jesus went up on a mountainside in that area, spent all night praying, and then he chose his disciples. Well, at the end of Matthew, it says, Jesus met them on the mountain, and in the NIV, it says where he had told them to go. But in the Greek, you know, remember, we're translating into English. You could translate those words just a little bit differently, and it could be the mountain where he had appointed them. It's possible that it all started at Mount Arbel, where Jesus called these 12 guys and said, you are going to be my sent out ones. And then he met them again after the training period, after the cross, after the resurrection, and he told them, guys, remember when we met here and I chose you and I said, I'm going to invest in you and you're going to be my disciples and you're going to be sent out. It is time for you to be sent out. So go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I'm not going to say that's a hard fast. I know that's exactly the way it happened. I know it's right there. I can tell you the very spot. I'm not going to say that. I'm saying it makes sense that that's possible. And it brings it 
really home to us, where we can say, Jesus has invested in my life. He has brought people into my life who helped me to know this is who Jesus is. This is how you serve him. This is what walking with him looks like. And now he's saying, it's time for you to be out where I've placed you in the mission field that I've put you in, and I want you to make disciples of other people. Jesus has chosen you. He's invited you to come close to him. He's invested everything, even his very life, on your behalf. He teaches, he shows, he trains us in his word, in his spirit, through ministry like Pastor Jeff. He, he welcomes us to participate with him. And he sends us out to pour into other lives what he's poured into our lives. Will you be his witness? That's the question. Will you be? He, he said, you'll be my witnesses. Will you be his witness? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us like you love us. Thank you, Lord, that even though we can look back and you are very aware of our inconsistencies and our failures and our faults and our struggles, yet you love and you care and you draw us and you want us and you welcome us. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness that covers over every sin. Thank you that even when we've walked with you and we have wandered away from you, yet you still draw us back and want us to walk with you again. Father, would you help us to take what Jesus our Lord has poured into our lives and to intentionally pour into the lives of other people? Guide us, Lord, to, to know even in this moment a face, a name, a, a person, a place, an opportunity where you want us to serve as your witnesses to invest in the lives of other people so that they know you and walk with you too. 